You are listening to a podcast from UIB Right. Hello and welcome. We are here in the studio on behalf of the Writing Support Podcast to talk about the poster as fusing theory and practice in arts and design education. My name is Alan and next to me sits Elina. Hello. And we are here today with Peter Thomas. I'm a senior lecturer in academic writing and language at Middlesex University uh, in London. Um, and I work specifically on uh, writing development with students in the Faculty of Arts and Creative Industries at the university. So Peter, you teach academic writing to art and design students. How does this compare to teaching academic writing in other disciplines, for example, in the sciences? Well, it's, um, it's fascinating. It's a, a job I love doing. It's very interesting. Um, and I think there are lots of things which are very similar in terms of the, the things that we need to work with the students on, um, whether they're doing, I don't know, business or art and design or anything like that. But there are also quite specific things which are different. Some of the things which art and design students have to deal with are to do with something that's in the title of the, the paper that I'm giving here mm -hmm. uh, about fusing practice and theory. Um, a lot of the art and design courses are very practice oriented, so they, the students have to uh, design things in the studio or, or create things in a workshop. And that practice element needs to be looked at and thought about and contextualised and theorised. So the students have to do what's called contextual studies. Um, and the contextual studies part of their course is often very uh, focused on writing. Whereas the, the, the practice-based stuff that happens in the studio and the workshop is not so much focused on writing. So we've got two elements of the class, of, of, sorry, two elements of the course that they do. And not all courses are like that. A lot, of, a lot of courses don't really have that practice element in it. So the work I do often concentrates on the fairly conventional academic writing that they need to do as part of the contextual studies part where they're theorising the practice and looking at the history of the practice and thinking about important designers from the past or uh, interesting ways of theorising that design and so on. Um, but I also try to do as much work as I can with the students in the studio or in the workshop, so using writing as part of that practice. Um, I think that's unusual. I think that's, that's not something that, that happens very often in other um, areas. Uh, what can teachers and students in other disciplines learn from approaches to writing in arts and design? Ah, good question. Very good <laughs> question. Um, I think um, I think we can all learn a lot from each other. I don't think that art and design um, has all the answers. Or I think it. Um, uh, there are lots of things that I do which I'm kind of happy about, but I wish I could do it slightly differently or better. So I, I often work with colleagues of mine who work with students in other departments. And I listen to the things they're doing and I think, well, how could I adapt that? So, but I think that some, one of the things that art and design is very good at, or quite, what some, one of the things that's quite important in art and design is that the, um, a lot of the studio practice is, is about finding new, novel, interesting, innovative ways of doing things. So a lot of the, the, the artists and the designers are trying to push boundaries and try and find interesting ways to express themselves and to, um, to articulate things that, um, in ways that 
make sense to them as individuals. And I think that that's something that this idea of pushing boundaries and challenging norms and the idea that you might do that in order to come up with something that's quite unique in a way or personally significant, something that, that uh, says something about your identity, that kind of um, the work there stands for you. I think that's, those are things that I find very interesting in art and design and um, I think that, that's, that they're often things that are quite difficult to achieve in writing, um, particularly when you're talking about academic writing, which is quite conventional. So there are quite a lot of, you know, guidelines and suggestions for how the writing should look. And those guidelines and suggestions or those conventions, in a way, they kind of squash or minimise the input that uh, an individual writer or a student writer feels that they can make to the writing. Sometimes students complain to me about that. They say, well, there's nowhere for me in here, in this writing. There's no, I can't really express myself in here. Whereas in the studio, I'm being told that that's what I have to really try and do as much as possible. As a student, I know it can be challenging to include your own opinions because academic texts are heavily based on references. Well, um, without wanting to sound, without wanting to kind of um, reference mm, someone else, yeah. uh, really, but th there's a, a very interesting writer that I've found it, uh, useful in helping me understand uh, this. Uh, there's a, a guy, a, a Russian writer, Bakhtin, who wrote about um, many very interesting and complicated things. And one element of, of what he talked about is the way that we engage in different kinds of um, discourse. Yeah. Um, some discourse is internally persuasive. He calls, he talks about that, which is um, essentially the stuff that makes sense to ourselves, the things that we're interested in doing and the, the kind of things we want to pursue for our own um, to our, for our own ends, really. Um, but he also talks about authoritative discourse, which is the discourse of others, um, and really the role that we need to try to perform as writers, particularly writers in um, the academic context, is a, is a, a role that kind of brings these two things together, so that our, our writing is internally persuasive, it makes sense to us, it, it communicates what we uh, think ought to be communicated, but it does so acknowledging the work that others have done and taking advantage of that work and uh, exploiting that work, understanding that work, so that we can kind of locate ourselves yeah. and say, look, this is me, this is where I stand. Now, how we do that in, in academic writing is really hard, particularly yeah. if you're doing a text like, I don't know, a literature review or something like that, which is all about everybody else. It's not really about me. Yeah. However, you could argue that um, without me, this particular literature review I'm writing wouldn't exist. So I am all over it. I'm, I'm in it. Everywhere I look is me, really, because the people I've chosen, the way I've decided to choose them, the people I've contrasted with another, the, the kind of the way that I've organised the text, um, the conclusions I come to at the end of the text, that's all me. Yeah. And so that's all my, my kind of internally persuasive discourse, if you like. Yeah, um, that's a good point, actually. Yeah, good yeah. perspective. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, yeah. seemed, I mean, it, it seems to kind of, it's hard. I, th I think perhaps the main thing to say is that it's hard, that, that, yeah. it's, a, that it's a tussle, it's, it, there's tension. And that's maybe 
we don't really want to overemphasize that. We don't want students <laughs> to think, oh, it's all hard. This guy says it's all hard um, because it is. But I mean, it is hard, but it's also doable. I mean, people can do this stuff. It's it, and it's fascinating. The, the struggle, the tension that we kind of experience as we're doing it is the that's the reason we're doing it is to find new things. You are listening to a podcast from UIB Right. You have been working with posters as a form of writing. What is the pedagogical benefits of using posters in teaching and learning? And what learning outcomes does it provide compared to essays? Well, that's a, there's quite a few thoughts in there. Um, <laughs> I, um, I worked on this project with my colleague and friend, uh, Grace Lise Maffey. We decided to look at posters because they were, we thought, um, an interesting genre. They marry word and image. They're um, a multimodal thing. They they can. Um, we think or we thought that that this this must be good for art and design students in particular. This is kind of it's a perfect genre, and yet they're not used very much. And we tried to we were trying to work out why that was the case. And they I mean they use quite a lot in other department in other disciplines. So. Uh, we found when we did our literature um, review that nursing, for instance, is is quite um, keen on posters. There's quite a, there's quite a few lot, there's quite a lot of literature that that talks about nursing posters, and and yet there's not that much on on the way that we might use them in art and design. And the 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 work that we did was kind of interesting because. They seem to be. It seems to be a slightly forgotten about genre, or at least it's not. A, it's slightly overlooked genre. Mm. Um, and when I asked, when I mentioned to some colleagues that I was doing this thing on posters, they said, oh, "That's a bit weird. Why do, would you do that? Why? It's not a very interesting genre. It's like it's a bit boring, really, because you know we all know about posters. That, but then they're the kind of things that you know when you go to a conference, um, you have to kind of struggle to get yourself heard because you you know people tend to walk past the posters and. They've got a sort of funny reputation, which is really there's no reason for them to have a funny reputation because they're really interesting things, and they 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 can do a lot of very complex things that you can't do in in other um, genres, for instance, with essays. So to answer your question about, I'm not sure if that answers your first question, but the the to to think about the the feedback really that we got from the students in the research that we did, they identified an awful lot of things that they found positive about. Mm. posters um, they they talked about posters being a, a kind of a, for them a new way of doing research mm. because they were thinking about as they were reading and as they were looking at um, examples of design because the, the the research we asked them to do was all to do with design and photography so as they were looking at the images and as they were looking at um, objects and reading about these things they were thinking at the same time about how they would um, articulate that and how they would put that in this limited space that they had on the poster. Um, they also talked about feeling free from um, the kind of constraints that we are under when we write so that you don't have to worry so much about the language because there's not so much language to put down. Mm. Having said that, um, <laughs> the, there were lots of flip sides to these observations so that on that particular observation for instance the fact that there wasn't so much language to write made it more difficult to find the right words uh, or to decide exactly which bits to mention and which bits to write about and which bits not to write about because you have to be more selective. Mm -hmm. yeah. 
They also talked about, um, in terms of kind of benefits of doing posters, they, they talked about the, the possibility that in a way with posters, there's no right or wrong. Um, now this may have come from the fact that we didn't give them any guidance on how to do the posters. We just said, you're the visual people, you should know how to do this. Um, we didn't actually say these words, but this is what we were thinking. <laughs> you should have to do this. You know how to, should know how to do this. So just get on with it. So some of the comments we, came, we had were about that. And they said, well, it was great because we didn't, there was no right or wrong. We didn't, we didn't feel that we were going to make a mistake if we did it like this or like that. Having said that, the flip side of that is that some students said we were, and we were kind of frozen by uncertainty because we weren't sure exactly how to go about it. We weren't sure what was expected because we weren't given any clear conventions to follow. So one thing that we learned, I think, on the, during the process was that there are many different ways of using posters. And one way could be that you give very clear guidelines about exactly what you want the students to do. So you can give them a, a template perhaps to follow. Or you could not. You could mm. just allow them to do what they wanted. I think the decision about whether to give them the template, for example, or not to give the template is up to the, the lecturer and, and up to whether they think or the lecturer thinks that that would contribute to the learning outcomes, whether that would help. Is that something that you want the students to engage with? And um, frankly, there must be lots of different things based on the comments that the students said that I could mention now, which are very similar, that, that they're, they're, you could do it like this, you could do it like that. Um, you could ask them to, for example, limit the number of words to 200. Or you could say, you decide, you decide how many words. Yeah. You could say, we want five headings. Or you could say, we don't care, you do what you want. So would you say there are no specific rules? I think within disciplines that, mm -hmm. use, that use posters quite a lot, there are or there yeah. are certain expectations. Yeah. So for example, at, in, in research posters, often um, particularly in, in scientific or social science um, mm. areas, you, you're looking at having an introduction or some kind of um, in, introductory part. You're looking at identifying the, the, the context or the literature. You're looking at methods, you're looking at findings, discussion perhaps, conclusion. So th those kind of typical yeah. research article sections are, are quite commonly called for in posters as well. But a question to ask really is how necessary is that? Mm. How important f is it for you as a teacher, let's say, for your students to produce that structure? Is that necessary? In our case, it wasn't really necessary because we were not asking students to report on an experiment that they had carried out. One example of what we asked them to do as part of the project was we gave them, um, this was for a group of second year photography students. It was in the first term. And we gave them a series of lectures about um, the theory and history of, of, of photography. And we, we focused on a particular theme. And then we asked the students at the end of that block of lectures, I think there were three lectures, we asked them to summarize some important sub-themes within that in a poster. So they had to identify, I think it was three points that they wanted to make. Mm -hmm. And that was it. So we, we said, um, no, that wasn't quite it. We asked them to <laughs> include images and to include words, but we didn't tell them how many, we didn't tell them in what form. How to. How to. Yeah. So they, they, had, they did it themselves. Yeah. And um, some of them came up with some very wordy posters 
Some of them came up with posters with almost no words and lots of images. And in the discussion that we had afterwards, there were comments about that. So some students, for example, they said, well, we like that poster because there's, there's not many words in it, so it's easy to understand. And then somebody else said, well, actually, it's not very easy to understand because it's a bit ambiguous because there aren't enough words to make it really clear what's being talked about. Um, and then somebody else said, wait, but that one with lots of words has got too many words. I, can't, I haven't got the patience to read it. So as a, as a collective, we worked out that you need to find a balance between the words and the images, but what does that mean? And, and individuals seem to have slightly different ideas about that. And we quite liked that. We liked the fact that it was, a, it was possible for the students to make those kinds of decisions mm. for themselves. But in other disciplines, that might not be what's necessary or what's, what's wanted. So um, to come back to that question you asked. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think you answered a lot of questions. <laughs> So in terms of comparing them with essays, we, that was one of the questions that we asked, um, was a few of the questions that we asked the students in a survey that, in, in the research that we did. Um, and we asked them things like, well, what do you think a, an essay is good for? And what do you think a poster is good mm. for? And things like that. And um, by and large, it was kind of inconclusive in, in that some students said this, some students said that, but essays, were seen to be good for going into lots of detail, taking a, a topic really seriously and having time with it and um, being able to investigate it properly and to... This idea of properly came up quite a lot, the idea that, that with an essay you could really do it. Mm. Um, whereas with a, with a poster, some of the positives that they said about posters was that they were really good for opening up discussion and they were really good for showing uh, the key ideas of a particular issue or a particular theme. Mm. The, to go into the details, you needed to do something else, like write an essay or so on, or maybe do another poster. But the, um, the, this idea that posters are kind of limited, but that has positives as well as negatives, and that an essay is a bit less limited in that sense, in that it's longer and you can go into it in more detail, that was an interesting thing to to encounter. Um, one of the other things that personally I found really interesting was to do with the way that um, part of the research we, we, we kind of accidentally almost discovered that a poster is one genre but the poster session, so the, 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 the teaching environment, the teaching moment that you use to, to use um, posters is another um, genre almost. Mm. And um, the the, the poster session was a very interesting element um, to the research and students talked about a um, particularly interesting thing from my point of view was that they really appreciated the fact that they were given the opportunity to research something, to design something, to make it, to display it, to talk about it and to get um, feedback from their peers and from lecturers. So that was, they, they talked about it being a kind of a complete cycle um, of communication. Whereas with essays, they felt that what often happened was they did the research, they wrote it, and then they sent it. Mm. And they did that in a very kind of almost hidden way. Um, so that the essay just went through Turnitin or some other um, system like that. And then they got feedback from one person a few weeks later. And it was disconnected, it wasn't as immediate. Mm. And that for me was a very interesting discovery really, that, that posters have a 
an authenticity about them in terms of communication. You know, you're doing it and then you're seeing the person who's reading it and they have a chance to talk to you about it. Yeah. Yeah. So based on that, do you think that posters are underused in higher education? Um, I don't know if I can say that, actually. I think within my um, own context, I would say that they could be used more. And I think that I hesitate to say that they should be used more because I know that um, genres that are chosen are chosen for very good reasons most of the time. And essays are excellent for a number of reasons. They, they engage students in in-depth research. They require students to find language that they might not normally find. Um, they focus the mind in a very, very um, intense way and allow, as we've said earlier, to kind of the writer to really get, get to grips with, with things if, they, if they're able to do that. Mm -hmm. um, and posters, I think, are not really a replacement for essays, but they're things which I think can run alongside essays. Uh, another thing that, that came up was the, was the way that you can use posters in a number of different ways and at different moments in the research process. Mm. Um, so, for example, we, we, I've already mentioned how we used it for, on one occasion when we got them to summarise a block of uh, a lecture block. Another time we used it as a, um, to ask the students to, to give a plan for their essay. Um, another time we asked them to, to go out and find a designer and come back with the research that they had, had um, found as an introduction to that designer and to use that designer's design methods as part of their, their poster. Mm. So we, um, that's at least three different ways of using a poster, which means it's a versatile um, genre. It's a thing that can be used in lots of different ways. But there are loads of other genres too. And I think perhaps one of the, another thing which, which has been interesting in terms of this research, for me anyway, is that we need to question our genres. So whatever we ask our students to write, we need to really think about why we're asking them to write that particular thing. What affordances does that genre have? What does it enable the student to do? Mm. And are there other genres which we could, could do the same thing and maybe without asking them, for example, to engage with the conventions of academic discourse, which is quite complicated. Is there a genre where you could ask the students to do research but not articulate it in that complicated way? Is, and how necessary it is, it, is it for them to have that yeah. ability to do that? It, these are all questions to ask, and I think that that's um, one of the things that has been a very, uh, for me, very interesting part of the process. Are there any challenges to using poster workshops that you would like to address? Well, one of the issues that came up um, quite a lot, quite, it was quite strongly voiced by the students in the research we did, was that make, um, talking about your poster mm. makes you nervous. Yeah. So the students, was, were um, a lot of them said, oh, it's, it's nerve-wracking. I'm, I'm really anxious about the fact that I've got to do a poster presentation in a few minutes, that kind of thing. However, that's not uncommon, and I don't think that's unique to, to posters. I think it's, it happens a lot with any form of speaking. Yeah. And um, some interesting things that maybe offer a little bit of support for that that came up in the research was that some students said that they found using a poster very useful because it was all the information that they needed to talk about was right there. Yeah. And so they had a prompt, and they could point to things, and they could 
use the poster as a, the focus of the attention of the of the listeners rather than feeling that it was all on them. Mm. Um, and another thing in relation to that was that we tried to use posters, we tried to minimise the pressure that the students were under to speak. So we didn't actually ask the students to stand next to their poster in front of the whole class and talk for 10 minutes about the poster. We, we didn't do that. So we, we tried out different ways of, of kind of reading and engaging with the poster. And I think some of them made it less nerve-wracking for the, for the, for the poster maker. Um, one, one way that was interesting was that we said, we asked the students in the group just to walk around the room and look at all of the posters that were there in groups and to pick out ones they liked, pick out ones they didn't like so much, just think about them and have a discussion with the people they were walking around with about, about the pros and the cons and all that stuff. And then we had a, a group discussion about posters, about the posters in the room and about making posters generally. And so we didn't actually ask any of the students individually to say anything about their poster. They could if they wanted to, and most of them did. So most of the time when somebody said, oh, I really like that one over there because it does this and it does that, people in the class said, who did it? Who, who was the student? Who was it? And inevitably the one who was yeah. red in the face was the one who, who then said, oh, I did it. And it was nice. It kind of felt like we were sharing it and we were, so the pressure was a little bit on the, on the student that had made it, but it was, it was kind of a, um, that pressure was alleviated a little bit. But maybe it can also be an opportunity for the student who made the poster to want to explain more about it when other people show interest in it. I mean, I guess a, a downside is if, if, you know, if I really want to talk about my poster, but nobody chooses it. Yeah. And what am I going to do? Am I going yeah. to put my hand up and say, hey, what about me? <laughs> what about so, me? you know, as a teacher, you need to manage that kind yeah. of thing. And um, it was an interesting uh, project because we had the chance to do, um, to, we did four seminars, basically, in the project. And each one we tried to do it in a slightly different way. So we had four attempts in a way to, to look at the, the poster and, and try try out um, different techniques and stuff like that. Um, lastly, do you have any advice for teachers who would like to include posters in their classrooms? Yeah, good question. I think I would just say do it. If, you, if you've got the inclination to do it, just try it and see what happens. I, I mentioned that there are lots of questions that you can ask yourself about, about your genres that you're going to use and I'm aware that if you ask yourself too many questions, you can kind of paralyze yourself with, oh, I don't know, shall I do it like this? Shall I do it like that? I don't, you know, it's, it's once you've tried it a few times, you, you get an understanding of how that way works. And then you might think, mm, okay, I'll try it a different way next time because it, this and this and this didn't seem to work in the way I wanted it to, to go, for example. It's not really rocket science. It's not a super complicated thing, but I guess it depends on the context that you're in and how valuable creating some multimodal text like this is? Like how important is that for you, for your students? Does it make sense for them to do something like that? I would say it, it probably does in most cases because multimodal texts are things which we encounter all the time. And um, so students being used to, or at least having some experience of creating them is good, it's useful. Mm. So. Yeah, I think, I guess yeah, the main bit of advice would be just try it out, see, see what happens. Um, and if you do it in a kind of low stakes way, where maybe you're not grading it, you could try it out at the kind of interim stages 
of a larger piece of work. So you could maybe, if you're setting an assignment, you could begin by asking the students to produce a plan in the form of a poster. Now, it doesn't have to be a perfectly produced, you know, um, beautiful poster. It could just be something that's actually fairly quick and then maybe you, you get the students to make it in the class. And then maybe you get them to go away with some to do the research and they come back and you ask them to identify three key questions or something like that. And then they put that on the poster and they try to explain them with some images. I don't know. I mean, there's lots of different ways of doing it. And, and you, could, you could, I think that's one of the, the things that I find most interesting that, that it's, it's got a place, the, the poster has a place at, um, at different points in the, in the process of research, but also as its own thing. You can make a poster as a, an outcome of its own. Mm. You have been listening to a podcast from UIB Wright.